Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists. With ISST accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to What's the Schemata. This is our weekly, monthly, whenever we want to uh, get together uh, when we talk about schema therapy. And today, um, myself and Rob. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? Hey, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. We're yeah. um, really blessed to have um, someone who's um, very um, close to us and we know very well, Chris Hepworth, who's going to be talking a little bit more about um, integrating DBT, which is dialectical behavior therapy, with schema therapy. So, um, yeah, look, welcome to, welcome to the show, Chris. Welcome, Thank Chris. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Thank you. Now, can we uh, establish some kind of, because we've got Chris and Chris, <clears throat> is it okay, uh, Chris Hepsworth? Is there, is there sort of a nickname we can go by today? Oh, well, I used to call Happy at school if you want to go with that. That's uh, I'm okay. right that. Okay, done, done, locked in. Yeah. So, so you know, um, this is a really interesting topic, I think, in Schema um, Happy because, um, you know, it's something that we get asked a great deal of uh, in the trainings. So, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, okay, all this stuff, attachment, and, you know, all the experiential stuff, all the healing. Like where, where does this fit with what you might already know, you know, within a DBT framework? Um, a lot of people, a lot of therapists have already been trained in that sort of framework. So um, we get asked that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Chris. Yeah. Mm. And I guess it's, you know, obviously, uh, well, we can talk about this later as we go, but often these two models get sort of competed against and I don't necessarily think it's necessarily that um, useful for the client. But um, but before we do that, it, it'd be good to sort of have a chat about your own practice. You're, you know, accredited mm. uh, schema therapist. You're in Perth where I am too in Australia. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you fell into schema therapy and, and DBT possibly and, you know, tell yeah, us a bit yeah, about sure. that. Yeah, look, so for me then, both schema therapy and DBT is something I've, I've had a footing, so to speak, really since the very start of my career. So I probably was just quite lucky in that sense, and it's something I had both of. So we, the, the, the original schema text, so, you know, from Jeffrey Young, was actually the recommended text before I even started my clinical training. So, you know, being the good little kind of schoolboy that I was, I actually read it. I was probably the only person on the course that read it all before we started. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and that just, it just really resonated with me. So from the very off as a relative lay person back then, you know, the idea that it's not just about looking at your thinking, but also emotions and your history and the therapy relationship is really important. So basically from day one, uh, I've been a, even a trainee therapist, schema therapy just kind of did really speak to my heart. Um, and, you know, kind of as I was going through the years as well, realized at first, as we will tell people now in training, thought I was doing schema therapy, where I'd maybe mentioned the word schema a few times in a session, but eventually realized it wasn't really. Did the YSQ a few times. Did the YSQ yeah. a few times, you know, kind of mentioned all oh, that's that schema, and that was about the end of it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously became a lot more specialized in my training there. But what, what was also happening in parallel was from my very first external placement, they happened to have a, a comprehensive DBT program. So with all the components of having a DBT group, individual therapy, DBT consultations, et cetera. Um, so it's quite lucky to actually be able to do that from the very start too. Yeah. And what I was finding was, particularly as a trainee therapist, it was really nice to have this very coherent structure. So it's one of the things about DBT is it's incredibly structured. And, you know, I was finding that people doing it for the year, 
would would get good outcomes. They were coming in very dysregulated, very distressed, you know, maybe quite suicidal or self-harming. And by the end of that, their lives were a lot better. Yeah. But yeah. what I was also finding was it didn't always go further than that. So, you know, people will be kind of going, oh, this is great. I'm more, I'm more regulated. I'm not turning up to emergency departments as much. But it actually wasn't really dealing with the underlying stuff. Yeah. I mean, I had a similar experience, Chris. It might also point to my um, inadequacy as a DBT therapist. Um, my experience was quite similar, but it was, it was almost like, you know, after a year or so of doing DBT, a lot of the clients would be more behaviorally regulated. Mm. You know, as you said, they wouldn't be sort of turning up to um, ED nearly as much and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But what I really felt was a core misery that was still there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if that's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, but that was my experience and, and kind of what drove me towards schema. Look, and it's exactly what I was finding too. And they actually do have a term for it in DBT. It's, it's a staged approach. And if you just stop... It's the misery off, stage. Or something. <laughs> pretty much. Look, it's actually called like the quiet despair. Right. It's, it's okay. where the person is more emotionally regulated, but essentially the, the underneath stuff's still there. So, you know, if you think about it from a schema terms, there's still stains to flight, but I still feel empty. Yeah. You know, I'm still not that satisfied in my life. I've still maybe got this trauma and this other stuff from being younger, but actually this, is, this has kind of not really been dealt with yet. So you you um, were obviously trained in uh, schema therapy, and you know you took this further mm. to to the point where you were coordinating a DPT program. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And at the same yeah. time, doing accreditation in schema. Yeah. Then training. So you yeah. Had your head in both yeah. worlds, kind of thing. Yeah. Look, I was, and so I did eventually start coordinating the the entire program. So it's a very very much into that DBT world. And yeah, actually, I guess I've not really thought about it before in this way, but actually at the same time as doing my accreditation. Mm. So, mm. Uh, and they are very competing. So I would have to find ways to really one way, keep them apart in some, some instances. Well, can you say some things about that? I mean, uh, we could p- pick up on this thread about the competition or the competing treatments in the same space. Yeah. You know, do you see it that way? Are they competing treatments or, I mean, how do you make sense of that? Well, I, th- I think for me, overall, as a therapist and I guess as a human being, I just think that there's different therapies that people will benefit from at different times or different people will benefit differently from different therapies. Um, so there's basically not one size kind of fits all. And in some ways, I think they, they are kind of competing in that they're not completely coherent. You can't absolutely smash them together and make them work. But I actually think that at the very heart of them, they are very, very similar. You know, they both actually kind of look at why the person is the way that they are in a very similar way, where it's something to do with, you know, genetics or how the person's born, that temperament, then combined with what happens to them in their environment growing up. In many ways, I must imagine if you had two therapists who were sat there having a conversation, they would almost agree, you know, DBT and schema on what's at the heart of it and kind of acknowledging that, and in some ways, you know, the therapy relationship has something to do with healing and helping, but then they just go about it in completely different ways, generally. So it's kind of a yes and a no for me. I think they are kind of competing, but I also don't think they need to. I think they do different things at different times. And, you know, DBT was originally created for borderline personality disorder, or more specifically, very high, highly suicidal people. Mm -hmm. And I think that, 
the way that it looks or it is classically about emotional regulation still works really well for those people. But then you get that, what we were talking about, where if you just stop there, people go, well, okay, I'm more regulated now. I don't need to go to the emergency department, but what, what's what, next? What next? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of basic, you know, terms and, um, you know, the two models, how do you see the, the approach, you know, in terms of integrating the two, you know, um, how do you accommodate, you know, these two different kind of ideas, you know, and, you know, and what sort of ideas do you think, particularly this is what I'm interested in, is how for the schema therapist, what kind of elements would be useful for a schema therapist to know, or, you know, is there, what's the best way to integrate the DBT material? Like from a schema perspective, yeah? From a schema perspective, yeah. Well, and I think, I think that actually is important because I think from a DBT perspective, people may turn around and go, I don't, you can't integrate schema. And I think... And is that because, because really DBT, you pointed to it before, it's, it's very comprehensive, mm. but it's also somewhat rigid in a sense that it's, it's not very integrative or there's a DBT consistent way of doing things. Yeah, look, and I think one of the major differences that as a schema therapist, at the very heart of our therapy is what does this client need? you know, both, both right now in the therapy and historically. So I think that means that as a schema therapist, we're, we're more comfortable and happy kind of going, well, what they need right now is a, a particular skill. And yeah. kind of be able to go, and that's still coherent with my overall therapy yeah. and my approach and my structure. And yeah. we're quite comfortable with that. So ironically, even if you're doing DBT skills with someone, schema therapists are more okay with it. Whereas I have definitely found a lot more rigidity from the other side, particularly when I used to do comprehensive DBT programs, that a lot of the clinicians would be kind of going, look, that that's not DBT. You can't. It's not consistent. It's not consistent. You, you can't meet their needs. Uh, <laughs> so is there a way of... I'm being cheeky. <laughs> is there a way of elegance, isn't there, to the model in schema, in the way that it's you can integrate around these ideas? Yeah, so look, for me, the, the, the most useful things, the things that I use the most is, is the skills. Yeah. So specific skills that you get taught in what you think of as stage one DBT, they're incredibly useful. Uh, and some of the evidence base that's pulled apart, you know, DBT as well, says in the end, it seems to be the skills group, which has the most um, impact on the outcome. Um, and then to a degree, some of the dialectics, so one of the things I talk about, particularly in kind of the workshops, is actually just, just approaching it as an and, you know, rather mm. than a book. And I'll, mm. I'll come back to that a little bit later. But for me, then, it is about knowing the skills. So kind of knowing what the DBT skills are and actually being able to kind of look at your client in a schema therapy framework and think they'd actually benefit from this set of skills, either overall in the therapy or this in this session with what they're bringing to me and talking about today. I actually feel like one of the options could be to teach them this skill. Because what I find sometimes with when you're integrating other models is that suddenly the other model with the schema model gets totally sort of... Um, you know, relegated and then the new model yeah. sort of takes over. So it sounds like from your perspective, you can integrate behavioral or you know, some of the skills-based concepts into the model easily, but still be talking in a schema framework. Yeah. 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 So uh, for me, I'm always doing it from a schema therapy framework. And that, I think that's one thing that I've realized over the years, you need to be really clear about within yourself as well as your client. So I think a lot of the, the clash can be when you don't know what you want to do from each model. So, so, so your primary uh, formulation approach is schema. 
I, I am absolutely a schema yeah. therapist. And you're clear in that. So you're, you're a schema therapist who, who brings DBT skills into your therapy. Yeah. V- versus the opposite, I guess. Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are sure. <laughs> I, I am 100% sure. <laughs> so that's been the way you've done it. That's That's been, I mean, I know when, <clears throat> I don't know about you, Chris, but um, happy, uh, you go to these workshops, especially when you're, you know, uh, new in your career and you go to schema and you go to ACT and you go to DBT and, you know, mindfulness. But there yeah. is this thing, like confusion of sitting there and thinking, like, how do we bring all this stuff together? Yes. Um, and, and schema was part of that for me because it's so integrative. It was so elegant that I could say, okay, we can bring in ACT in this way and that makes complete sense in this model. And I couldn't necessarily do it the other way. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I do completely agree. Um and originally in the start of my career, I would maybe more do it the other way around where because I was in comprehensive DBT programs, so I was having to kind of do the model, which was brilliant for my learning. And for people that really need it, it does work extremely well. But then I would be starting to introduce a schema conceptualization for them. And that would help go from the, okay, well, I'm not self-harming anymore to, and what do I do about the underlying stuff? And it's quite desperation. Quite desperation. Does that mean that you're doing it in a phase-based way, like... If, if you're doing it on the shoe on the other foot, then you this idea of, you know, you do yeah. the DBT first and, and then you might go into something like trauma work. Yeah, because if, you, if you're doing it from that point of view, if you're doing it from a DBT point of view, um, it's, there's actually four stages in DBT and not everyone knows that. And what you actually think of as being DBT is stage one. Um, you know, what classically looks like that with all the skills and the groups is stage one DBT. Stage. Didn't Linehan, she didn't kind of get there with the first book? Like she didn't get to the, the trauma processing part? Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I, I kind of think that too. And sometimes being, I, I think I'm maybe being a bit cheeky, but also true. It's actually, it doesn't really talk too much about what stages two to four look like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've always kind of gone around to people and gone, look, just because you're, you've done DBT with someone in the past and now you're doing EMDR or you're doing, uh, you know, kind of prolonged exposure, you can't still tell me that's still DBT. You're doing prolonged exposure. Yeah. But they will kind of go, well, no, it's still within a DBT frame. And the, I mean, the evidence for DBT also is in that fa- the stage one approach too, right? All those RCTs. We're talking about stage one DBT. This- what, what's yeah. your take on the, there's a bit of controversy around the whole phase-based, you know, approach in particularly trauma literature, you know, recently in the last 18, two, 18 months, two years. Um, really kind of, you know, one camp is, you know, you need stabilization and there's a phase, you know, process and versus, you know, other approaches, you know, they're more trauma focused that would be looking at the trauma kind of processing. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, DBT would sort of feel, feel like it fits more within a, a phase-based camp. You have got any thoughts about the controversy or experience of both models or avenues? I, I would say I'm kind of, I'm a non-fragilizing therapist, which ironically is a term which I've heard in DBT. It comes from America where they talk about don't, don't fragilize your clients, like treat them as if they can do things, treat them competently. What, what that means for me is I actually think that we can overestimate how much stabilization or, you know, almost like the, the lack of window of tolerance that people have, you know, rather than actually kind of going, look, if they want to work on their trauma, do they have enough capacity to be able to do that? Because if, if they do, and we can actually get in there and really help them heal that trauma and clean that out, mm. that is by far the kindest thing to do to that person. And that's mm. going to lead to the 
biggest downstream effects in terms of their life approving mm. when you really heal the trauma at the heart. So I'm someone who will only kind of upskill when I need to. And this is one of the things I make really clear as well in the trainings is um, that actually I, I kind of almost look at what's the minimum amount of skills I need to give somebody to get them to where we want to go rather than going, well, let's just teach them lots of skills just because. That's so an I, interesting I, yeah. perspective, isn't it? Mm. And, I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes I think it, it can be our own anxiety that's driving that. Mm. And usually, you know, you've got the two processes of, you know, being someone being willing, and if they're willing, there's one part, part of the problem, you know, dealing with, you know, detached protector and this sort of stuff. And if they're able, you know, and if they're able, I guess this is, you know, some people might have some resources and capacities that are going to be covered by DBT anyway, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it can definitely be our own stuff. Um, and I kind of like the, the analogy you tell Chris about the whole, the, the therapist not being ready when someone goes to talk about the trauma and they say, well, did you work on it with your previous therapist? Mm. And they say, well, no, that the therapist wasn't ready. Yeah. So mm. We, we want to get away from that. There are clearly some times. And that's a harsh thing. When you, when you hear that from a client to say, you know, have you worked on this? This has this come up before? And they say, well, it didn't. And the sense you got was that the, you know, from them, they, they were made to feel maybe like it was too hot to handle. Mm. when they were like this actually needed that or yeah look really sadly I've even heard some clients saying to me oh look I almost felt like I had to kind of look after the therapist when I was telling them about my kind of horrific trauma history and it's kind of come so I'm really sorry but that's not that's not an experience <laughs> needed yeah um, and so obviously look we do need to feel comfortable feel like we're trained enough to help people with our trauma but I think that's what it comes down to is actually most people or a lot of people have got enough resiliency about them naturally without giving them any more to be able to go. I really touch. like that flip in, in, in emphasis, um, like good enough skills mm, yes, kind yeah. of thing mm. rather than perfect skills, like like um, to be, have the perfect window. Yeah. You know, yeah. in all trauma work, you're going to overshoot mm. the window at different times, um, yeah. you know, and you have to deal with that and and – but not. I mean, sometimes I do get the feeling that some some therapists would hope to, to never overshoot the window. Mm. That's the other thing is that I guess with the schema model, you've got a lot more focusing on the limited reparenting, the therapy relationships, and all that techniques. And I guess in, you know, often that can kind of become a problem when you're doing this sort of work. So where do you see yeah. that, um, Happy? You know, where do you see the? Uh, I guess in schema, we would say that there's a lot more emphasis on the therapeutic relationship as as a sort of um, stabilizing force. Yes. Um, what do you think yeah. of that idea? That's absolutely true. Um, in schema, one of the major differences I talk about is in schema therapy, we really emphasize the therapy relationship, as well as obviously we emphasize the, the emotional techniques. Um, whereas in DBT, kind of the therapy relationship is often viewed more as almost like a teaching tool. So you're almost like a skills coach. Yeah. And there's, there's certainly not this acknowledgement that the relationship itself can be very, very healing and very powerful. Wow. Do you think that's that must make you like a super DBT therapist. Like if you bring <laughs> that, you know, uh, therapy relationship focus, the limited parenting, and then combine that with the skills mm. coaching. I mean, what's that like? Look, it's great. <laughs> um, but it is like a few years ago, I actually was really almost like getting a bit disheartened with DBT. And part of that was a lot of clinicians do it in quite a almost like whole structured way and then i actually got to go to a training by a lady called lima dimeth i'm not sure how you pronounce the name who used to work with marshall in a hat um and she was so warm and compassionate yeah, right. mm. i think even if you've not had schema training you are like a limited reparent mm. kind of 
therapist here. Yeah. One of the things I often say to people is even when you are, if you're choosing to do DBT skills or that approach, you can still be warm and compassionate and nice. Mm. Mm. I often use the analogy of of the rhesus monkeys. So those studies back in, I think it was like the fifties where you got the the wire monkey. Yeah. The one with the cloth on. Choose which one you want. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, Mm. they both provide nutritional, Mm. literally nutritional needs, but Mm. one's often warm and nice at the same time. And you're going to choose that monkey rather than the, well, literally I clinically went through Mm. chain analysis or taught you skills, but I did it in a more just, you know. So what I get out of this is that we're all monkeys basically. At the end of the day, <laughs> that likes monkeys that like cuddles and warm stuff. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I was gonna, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of different type of therapies that are, you know, sort of focusing on these parts kind of concepts like schema therapy modes, as you know, sort of DBT, these mind kind of, you know, sort of structures, this, um, you yeah, know, ideas. How would you, you know, sort of see? you know, these, you know, modes and minds, you know, how they compare, how do you differentiate sort of wise mind versus healthy adult mode? Yeah, you know, I've thought about this a lot over the years and I just, I just don't, there's not a huge amount of overlap, but like there kind of is, but they're just, they're just not the same. So in, in DBT you do have, and it comes from more like the mindfulness kind of aspect of the course that they talk about having three states of mind, you've got kind of really rational or logical mind you know, which often maybe think about as a Sherlock Holmes or something like that, or Spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Emotional mind. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you have what you call your wise mind, which is mm-hmm. the idea is it's a bit of an integration of the two, mm-hmm. often with an extra component, which is almost like gut feelings or just kind of knowing stuff. The vibe, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, look, the wise mind would be mm-hmm. the equivalent of healthy adult in DBT. Yeah. Yep. probably turn around and argue that you could almost explain just about everything from a wise mind position the same as healthy adult so mm. you could turn around and go oh, that maybe that's a part of you that's compassionate yeah that's where your values sit you know you you, you look at emotion as well as logic mm. i just don't think it's, it's just not quite the same it's but not a perfect fit it's not a perfect fit but if you're coming from a dbt position that is your closest you know thing that is the closest thing you'll talk about I mean, do you basically link the skills such as mindfulness, et cetera, to the healthy adult? Like, is that your integrated piece? Pretty much. When we talked about framework, and Chris asked about a framework earlier, um, pretty much what I'm telling people all the time is these skills are to upskill your healthy adult mode. Mm-hmm. And most of the time to either look after your vulnerable child in a better or different way, or to maybe be able to deal with some of your more problematic modes. Like, you know, we want to be able to not have the angry child, for example, run the show. So you might be about your healthy, well, using the stop skill to kind of flip your healthy adult to deal with it instead. So that's really the overall approach or framework I take is pretty much any skill I'm teaching people in schema is about we're upskilling your healthy adult mode. And within the framework as well, that's one thing I make really clear to people is you're still doing it within your framework. So I've seen videos of people doing DBT skills in schema and, and in one way it's kind of, it can feel very jarring and it doesn't make sense the way that they're doing it because they'll have done, you know, lots of really lovely limited reparenting and, and maybe labeled the schemas, et cetera, and done some lovely chair work. Then for whatever reason, they've, they've just got them pulled out some DBT skills to teach them. Right. And as a schema therapist going, I'm not sure why you're teaching these specific skills. And it doesn't make sense to me as to which mode you're trying to, 
work on here. So what's an example then of, of when it looks more elegant and it kind of fits, you know, so that, so that for our listeners and so they're not having these jarring type experiences? Yeah, so look, so it's always within that framework. And to give you an example, um, if I think about, and this is one of the a video that I've recorded with someone recently to show this, she gave me an example in the video. This is from one of my, my real clients, but you know, not the client who I filmed, not the person I filmed, where during the week she, she was talking about essentially her angry child really came out and kind of really roasted her, her husband um, because you know she came home and he didn't really notice her, was, was on the couch, things like that. So in the video, we talk about and we label the different modes, including her vulnerable child. And actually, she probably felt really hurt. And that was quite similar to coming home when she was younger and dad just reading the paper and mom not really noticing um, as well as them. But what then happened was, you know, her angry child really came through to the floor, uh, to the forefront and, you know, caused some problems. Yeah. And so what we then talked about after kind of the 15 minutes or so really tuning into that was, okay, well, look, we've got a few options today. You know, one of them could be, let's have a look at where you kind of, this sense of invisibility. And, and when I walk through the door, no one really cares. You know, maybe we do some imagery for, you know, for, for the little part of you to help heal some of that. You know, another idea is that I could do this thing where I teach what we call the stop skill to help when you're in that moment and, you know, angry, kind of angry Claire is gonna come on board and start kind of well, creating some problems to learn to pause, I mean, more likely instead you'll go to your healthy adult. Mm. It's kind of like, look, here's the two options as I see it. And even in this instance, I'm going, look, I think there could be more healing towards your vulnerable child, particularly in the long term. But she was saying, actually, I really want to work on the angry child because it's causing some big problems in my life right now. So can we do that stop skill? So then we went on and, and I taught her that. So it was quite clear why we were doing it, for what modes. Mm-hmm. And even in the language, then when I'm teaching it, I'm saying to her, so... You know, we get to the end point and this is where your healthy adult really needs to kind of step up and tell the person how you're feeling. It's kind of interesting, you know, a lot of the research now suggests that um, when schemes working, it, it's, there's a number of things going on, but, but part of it is, is that the schemas are getting healed, the negative schemas, mm-hmm. let's say via the vulnerable child or the critic. Um, but at the same time, the task is to build the healthy adult. Yeah. It's a sort of um, simultaneous thing. If you only focus on the healthy adult, um, you, then maybe you wouldn't uh, build something. Mm. Sorry, if, sorry. If you if you only yeah, if you only focused on the vulnerable child, you don't necessarily build the healthy build adult, and vice versa. If you force skills without addressing the core needs and the feelings of the child, so there's yeah. this kind of two therapeutic mm-hmm. tasks going on that we're juggling. Yeah. Do you think that's also related to, you know, the, the focus of skills? You know, the, I guess if you've got techniques and skills that are there in the box, yes. you know, I guess, you know, what, what you were saying then in terms of, you know, this person presenting in an angry way, and you know, sort of letting it rip to the partner, I guess it sounds like you're kind of really tuning to the client and really, you know, sort of mooting out what's happening and then sort of, you know, collaboratively looking at whether a skill might be useful to integrate rather than sort of stick into the box of, of, of therapy goodie bag, you know, in the goodie bag that you've got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think particularly, so say if you're doing a, a DBT program as well, it, this it has to be taught this way where you're getting skills in an arbitrary fashion. You know, this week you're getting taught the stop skill. Next week is the tip skill. Whereas when you're doing it with your schema therapy framework, if you've got that knowledge of the skills, you can teach them for what they need. So when yeah. you set person at time and you go, what, is, what does this person need today? And maybe within the overall framework of what are we working on in therapy right now? 
it means that you know in a more elegant, attuned way that you can go, hey, how about the stop skill? Or how about, you know, we, we look at some tip for when you mm-hmm. are talking, really overwhelmed between sessions. You know, so it almost like- sounds like um, a lot of this fits nicely into the mode management, yes. or you might think of as mode management in schema, uh, a sort of nice repertoire of skills to send them away and to manage this, mm. you know, in, in their daily lives. Mm. So, yeah. with, so with, you know, I guess in schema, we're looking at affect dis- dysregulation really being centered around mode flipping and activation and, you know, this sort of thing. You know, how does DBT conceptualize emotional dysregulation? How do they see it? Well, with the original theory, then, in terms of where it comes from, um, and thinking that, look, originally DBT was created for borderline personality disorder, yeah. you know, for ultra-high kind of suicide risk. So the theory around particularly how borderline personality disorder developed is that you've got a combination of the person being born a bit more emotionally sensitive mm-hmm. than someone who isn't. Um, and that means that they're kind of quicker to react emotionally, that when they do feel emotions, they're more intense and that the emotions will hang around longer. So part of it is yeah. temperament and the idea that they're just, they've got more of this sensitivity. And it's certainly like a, a contribution that you see that's happening mm-hmm. more in schema therapy where we're recognizing the, the fact, you know, the, the, the idea of temperament rather than just being about sort of, you know, poor caregiving and things like that, that temperament definitely yeah. has an impact. Yeah. Look, and I, yeah, and I, I think really temperament actually can be a big one. Mm. It's even what the person is taken away from that scenario that somebody else might not focus on because of mm. their temperament. Yeah. Like kids who actually just have very different temperaments, they're going to take away very different things from the same situation mm. we've all been to as a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And so with the theory then, we've, so you've got that part, you've got this temperament component, which is really not too different from schema therapy. But then it's also combined with emotional, well, sorry, not emotional, invalidation, yeah. which is quite, can be quite broad. You know, because mm. trauma obviously is incredibly invalidating, yeah. um, you know, whether that's kind of sexual or, or neglect, um, or it could just be that kind of like mishmash in the environment between having this child that's maybe a bit more sensitive, so needs more attunement and mm. needs more help regulating, and just mm. a parent who not their kind of fault and not coming from a bad place, but just doesn't do that. That's not yeah. fair. So it's basically like the, the theories is a combination of the two. So you get in this kind of off play between a slightly more sensitive child yep. then with the environment, not being able to meet the needs or having big stuff that really goes against the needs. And then mm. this kind of goes that way until downstream, you have someone who just really doesn't know how to label their feelings, not necessarily how to deal with them when they do pop up. And so it does get very, very overwhelmed because they've not naturally acquired, say, what we may have acquired just from a good enough kind of upbringing. Um, so that means kind of in the moment that they maybe stuff happens and they just don't have the skills. It's, it's funny because, you know, I think as we, we're all trainers in schema therapy, we, we have probably over time incorporated, you know, concepts of temperament and invalidation. And that's become mm-hmm. a part of how we teach schema therapy. But you know, I, I can remember when I started, you know, trainings as 10, 15 years ago, I don't think we made that as explicit. And it's over time, it's sort of enriched the schema model in itself. So, yeah, it's interesting how they kind of blend together. Look, and I think, I think it's a very compassionate view when you look at it like that as well, because it is that, you know, the whole idea of what's happened to you and where have you come from, mm. you know, really helping the person understand in a way mm. that's parent bashing or going, you know, it's a more more dad was terrible. It's unfortunately these these events have led to this. Uh, uh, 
Another thing that sort of popped into my mind, um, and I've heard this from other clinicians, that DBT has a really nice way of uh, sort of scaffolding or setting up little micro skills for the therapist about managing limits. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak to that? And, and so, all right, yeah, but somewhere along the way, I've probably lost what stuff in terms of limit setting that I've got from DBT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> schema. But because, Such an overlap. Yeah. And I don't really think, to be honest, it would be too much too different to what we do in schema therapy. In that, really, you've got that, that the, the steps, which essentially over time, you kind of, you escalate. So, you yeah. know, in a very similar way, you may point out to the person about how, what they're doing, either why it's not good for them or good for you. So whether that's calling you too much between sessions or mm. the way they're interacting in the session, whatever it may be. And you do it, hopefully, you know, within that limited reparent, if you're that kind of DBT therapist where they can take that. So I'm still thinking of it as mm. empathic confrontation when I'm doing this stuff. Mm. But in DBT, it's very clear about really naming the behaviors because it's, it's a behavioral mm. therapy. So being very clear on what exactly it is that's not okay. And so you'd be you, slipping in some, oh, there's some bullying attack there or, you know, slipping in some mode language. And if you do it from that point of view, yeah, you would do. Obviously, you don't, you're not doing that if you're doing it in DBT. Yeah, yeah. Difficult is sometimes a schema therapy. You see it and you're not, you can't name it. And what do you think about, like, like in schema, we so, sort of would say that we need to work more in, in a space that's hard. Yes. Like, and, and I do get the sense sometimes that the skills, and even in the class situation, it, it, they can be taught in a way that's disconnected from, yes. you know, the, the sort of hot space. Do you address that in your training? Like, like, can you learn these skills? It's one thing to learn it cold and say, look, here's the skill and this is yeah. the, but then it's another thing to, to sort of practice that in vivo. And that, that gets me more excited when I hear about that. All right. Yeah. So there's two things I want to make sure I mention about that then. But the first, um, which I'm super clear on, is you actually do have to think about what mode am I teaching the skills to and what mode is actually using the skills. Because like you say, you're kind of taking stuff that's pretty hot and in DBT, in some ways, you're trying to make it a bit cold. You're trying to take the effect down. You're trying to get the person to be less distressed. What that actually means, and I've seen this over the years, is, is your detached protectors, they love the skills. Mm. So to kind of your over controller modes, any of those modes that want to deal with feelings by being on top of them or kind of pushing them away or taking them down, they can love those. Love skills. it. Yeah. Really watch out for that and make sure it's the healthy adult. That so you it's can. a subtle thing. Like if you communicate to the client, we're doing this to get rid of your feelings, uh, maybe you go along with that agenda of the protector. Yes. Um, I but I if remember you're you talking communicating about, this more sorry, as sorry, go for it. Sorry, I was yeah. going to say I remember you talking about don't do things for evil, you know, yeah. don't yeah, and this idea of don't do you know skills and mindfulness for for evil, and that's sort of I guess you know what what you were yeah. alluding to. Particularly the the skills around the distress tolerance module, or, or particularly crisis survival, where you are teaching people skills to help get on top of feelings a bit. Mm-hmm. I make it really clear to them, and this is not in DBT at all. So this is what I learned over the years. Where I it's go, a sacrilege. I, I know, but it works really well. Is I will make it really clear before I teach them any skills, whether it's in a group or one-on-one, that yes, you know what, these skills can be used for good or they can be used for evil. <laughs> You're not Dr. Evil. <laughs> and does that mean if you use the needs framework? I 
happy. If you use the needs framework, then you can sort of anchor them to say, look, we, we, the, the reason we want to use these skills is to look after that child or to think, you know, make, make sure we're looking after her needs or that kind of thing. Exactly. And so what I end up doing is then explaining to people, most of the time I talk about avoidance versus the healthy element equivalent of distancing. And just give them a few rules of form, like avoidance. The intention is pretty much, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to have that conversation. And in that way, it's a very open time frame as well. You know, whereas distancing from a healthy adult point of view, we can go, you know what, right now, it's not the best time to deal with that. Right now, I don't want to be feeling this because I'm, I'm too angry or I've got to go to work. But then the intention is also more short term. So it's kind of, so I'll put this aside. I'll put it on the shelf but then I'll actually come back to it. So I'll come back and finish this conversation once the distance has helped me get more into my health adult or deal better with it. And so that, that difference is really, really crucial. And once you've explained it to people as well, sometimes I'll just cock my head a little bit when they're telling me about what they did and say, so do you think that was more distancing or was that more avoidance? And they can kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe that's more avoidance. Um, so I think it is really important to be clear with people about. Do you have like a DBT mode and a schema mode? Do you have like a part of you that flips into? <laughs> no, I finally got it. Look, I had quite a few years where probably it was like cognitive dissonance. I had a lot of, a lot of confusion, a lot going on. Oh, like multiple personality happy. That's right. But now I'm quite I'm very coherent about Very integrated. <laughs> well, look, you know, I think this is the thing, right, is that, you know, historically there has been some competition. I think there's even some RCT happening in Germany somewhere where they're mm. looking at schema therapy, DBT. And I, I, look, I, I think from this conversation, it, it's really um, not a really about making it competing. Uh, you know, I think there's lots of resources and aspects of both models that, you know, work for different clients. But, you know, I'd be interested to see, you know, are there points of reference where the models don't fit, you know, where they just don't gel? or yeah. they're conflicting, you know, what's your take? Um, well, I guess there's a couple of things with that. And look, the first is not just about not gelling, but one of the things I always make really clear to people. So I'm, I kind of told people two things at the start of the workshop and in some ways they can get disappointed, but then I say, but everything else from here is really good to stay. <laughs> I call it uh, methods to manage emotions. One of the first things I say is actually, if you can not manage emotions, that's better. If you can get someone just to sit with a feeling, notice it and listen yeah. to it that's the best thing to do. You don't need to do anything else if you, if someone can do that. But the second thing is actually, we already do so many amazing things in schema therapy, you know, limited reparenting, imagery, chair work, that if that's enough for your client, you don't need necessarily to be teaching them other skills. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's just about not so much gelling, but just schema is so wonderful at doing what it does that we don't necessarily need to be using other things. But if, you, if I do think about certain times or certain modes, one that I think about, I'll, I'll probably rarely ever use skills with would be like a, a self-aggrandizer mode. Yeah, yeah. Because even if I think that person might benefit from some skills, like, well, let's look at it from a more compassionate point of view about how it affects the other person or mm. look at some more gentleness. I just don't think that mode would want to hear it. I don't think that mode would want to take it on board. We talked a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, Lars Mesden, who does work with forensic populations. So I can imagine, you know, possibly in some sort of super overcontroller, you know, or overcompensator mode, like a predator mode or something, you could possibly use those skills for evil, you know, back to that idea of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, rather than from the healthy adult. Yeah. 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 But there's no. I think that's good. Sorry. Now it's going, 
you can't don't use it then it's it's more about that kind of going what does the person need can i use this yeah mm. it's a nice guiding framework like i said it's not being applied um in a blunt way no look and that, that is my guiding rule of thumb which some people kind of come to the workshops and stuff and almost want an incredibly coherent framework as to when to do skills or and it's kind of like well actually the real question is what does the client need so i can't tell you all the time but then you've benefited a lot as a dbt therapist from the schema model because on the one hand you have that kind of needs perspective yes um driving everything on the other hand you're also looking at it from the mode perspective you're saying hmm what side of them is in front of me which side of them might need skills what side of them perhaps and skills aren't a thing Yes, that, that's that's an inter- really interesting and <clears throat> makes me wonder. Like, um, how do other DBT therapists navigate this? Do they see the the client as just a unitary self? Yeah, <laughs> and DBT is all about behaviour, so it would become about the behaviour. So, if, if I think of some classic examples, particularly in groups, where you've got that person who's sitting there and they really don't <laughs> want to be engaging. And maybe even they've got their, their sunnies on. Happy's thinking he's a detached protector right now. Yeah, exactly. I'm sitting there. They're in a bit of a detached or some kind of avoidant protector. You know, the, the, I think a DBT virus would just see that as they're being avoidant. So they'd name mm. the behavior. And I think what is lost then is that what I would do is I would be kind of going to the person, oh, look, so I think there's a part of you right now who's not wanting to engage maybe even very generally, you know, wondering how that part is working for you overall or something. And that might be it. For Would you say this inside the groups? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you get this sort of integrated group, integrative groups. Yeah, look, so I think I do bring, when I used to be doing a lot more groups, I would be bringing my schema training and head to DBT. Mm. I knew the outcomes I was getting with people and they, and they were good. So I was quite confident in going, well, even though that might not be from DBT, is it actually doing any harm by mentioning this? Yeah. Or yeah. potentially helping the person? Whereas otherwise they kind of go, oh, I see the, I see you've been a bit avoidant today, or I see you don't want to take part today. I actually don't think that's going to be as effective for that person as being able to, to part it up a little bit or ask questions in mm. that third kind of person way. I think that's what causes some clinicians to stress out in, in accommodating models when they feel the mm. rigidity, like they have to, mm. they, uh, they should uh, stick in a more rigid way, it can be stressful. Well, what I get the feeling though is, you know, from what you've been saying is generally you're sitting with the formulation, you're coming from the model and then integrating the, the skills in, and the DBT as such when needed, you know, as opposed to jumping off and suddenly going, okay, we're stopping CV therapy, we're stop, stopping anything to do with that and then sort of moving into a block of, you know, doing DBT or something like that, you know, which is kind of neat. So, so happy, mate, who... Who is your ideal, you know, uh, patient? Now, who's the patient you're looking at thinking, you know, uh, I'd love to teach some skills? And, and, and look, Ironic- do you have any clinical examples or anecdotes you could share around that? Yeah, look, look ironically, it would be the same kind of client that DBT would love. But actually, like, if mm-hmm. I am thinking about who, who and what client do I use the most skills from DBT with, with my schema therapy, it would be that person who... When they're walking in, they're, they're really quite dysregulated. Mm. You know, when sessions, they get they get very, very stressed. I'll often refer to this as, as the overwhelmed child. So going beyond yeah. the, kind of talking about the overwhelmed child mode. Mm. I mean, we've got kind of, you know, like an angry kind of child and stuff as well. Mm. You, can actually, you can give a lot of, of value to that person and help them a lot 
by fairly quickly and it doesn't have to take long but in the therapy going hey how about you know for the next few weeks i teach you some skills to help build, build up your healthy adults look after that overwhelmed child better you know how about we look at tip and stop and a few things mm. that are going to really help you with those problems outside of therapy um and that's going to give you some immediate kind of gain and it might be in and then we're moving on to other stuff so it's ironically the same kind of client that dbt would probably love um yeah. but i think we can do it in a fairly efficient way where they can then really benefit and it's in the aid of helping their problems outside of session and then also knowing they've got some skills for in the session as well that might be useful when it comes to imagery and, and things like that so so is um, any go-to things as a as a therapist when you're teaching you know a schema therapist some dbt concepts what would you say that you know the the, the biggest go-to you know, concepts that you would want, you know, the average schema therapist to know about? Yeah, so look, there, there will be a few that I would say. These are the ones that come up again and again for me. Um, look, overall, what you call the crisis survival skills are really, really handy. So, um, and DBT, if you don't know, by the way, absolutely loves acronyms. So uh, one of them is called TIP. And that is really when the person is incredibly overwhelmed. That's kind of biological stuff like using water mm-hmm. and temperature to help really calm the farm, so to speak. So TIP stands for, I know what it is, but our listeners might not know. But It's the temperature. Yep. So it's actually where what you would do is you would kind of run uh, cold water in a basin mm-hmm. of water or something, take yep. a deep breath, mm-hmm. and you dump your face in that and hold your breath. Yeah. And it creates what you call the dive reflex, which naturally yep. your body down. And it yep. can really get the edge off pretty quickly. So a cold um, shower, would that be another one? Or something like that. For it to be tip, yeah, it could be. You'd have to be. You'd have to hold a breath. Right. Okay. Otherwise, it's kind of it's grounding, which can be beautiful. But if Mm. you want to get the real dive reflex, it's the combination of coldness and breath. What I get on a Friday morning when I uh, go swimming with my local dads all through winter, they're trying to get me to do this. So I'm definitely getting the dive breath reflex. I probably don't need that that element. Or not? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Forget about your worries. Yeah, look, they're really brief. And the I stands for intense exercise. The P is pace breathing. And the, the second P is progressive muscle relaxation. So that, they're just a set of skills which are really handy. Yeah. Someone is getting very overwhelmed to be able to help them just, just calm down fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's from crisis survival, which overall is probably the one set of skills I potentially would teach in its entirety to people. Mm-hmm. Um, one within that, which is probably why I teach the most, is called stop. Mm-hmm. That is about when you're about to do something reactive. So if you think about modes for that, that's like your angry child or impulsive child. Oh, right. Kind of like overcompensator mode. If you really do, you have these resources in your training um, yeah. around like these are the skills that kind of map onto certain modes. Yeah, look, I've actually just created that because one of the one of the really good constructive bit of feedbacks I get from the training was everyone keeps on going, it'd be great to have an even more uh, coherent framework, even though it's really tough to give it to people. So one of the things I've done now is I've, I've just got a sheet which has got the 18 traditional schemas and I've put the skills against that, which may help, yeah. but made it really clear even on that sheet that this is not to replace the really good schema stuff. This may be complementary and supplement. Mm. And I've put down underneath it as well some of the most common modes and the skills that I would use to try and really help make it really comprehensive in that way and really clear. As a little feature, I have to ask you this, um, Happy um, Detached Protector, yeah. uh, arch nemesis of lots of therapists around the world. Yeah. Uh, any of the skills map nicely onto that particular um, that particular mode? 
Yeah, look, there'll be quite a few, but I guess firstly, even just to say that obviously with that, we want to get the person feeling instead. So do bear in mind that sometimes your detached protector loves the fact that you're sitting there talking skills with it because it will, which is great. I'm not doing feelings. Um, so it might be one of those situations because in, in schema therapy framework, I, I'm always focusing on the attunement. That, that, that's, mm. that's a sort of as a central piece of that work because it's not that, you know, what am I trying to get them to not do? It's what do I want them to do? And so yeah. I want them to feel and to bring that more into the therapy relationship um, yeah. in an attunement sense. So I would still say that is the most important thing. Um, what I have found, though, is it can actually be a bit of a bargain or a bit of a bartering tool. So particularly those attached protectors who part of their argument is, but they'll get really overwhelmed or they're not going to be able to cope. They're going to they're going to become an impatient again and things like that. It can mm. actually be a bartering kind of tip tool to go. Actually, I can teach them some really good help. The dam bursting patients, the, <laughs> the, the, the detached protector who thinks the dam's going to burst and uh, yeah. that kind of thing. Well, look, this is still within the chair work because actually I always point out from the irony of, but when you don't let them feel any emotion, the, yeah, the dam's getting smaller. So mm. of course they're going to get overwhelmed when they feel stuff. And it's because you don't let them feel any emotion when it's smaller. Mm. But almost bargaining with them and going, I could actually teach them some really good skills like kind of tip or healthy distraction for when they do need to be able to regulate emotion. So it's almost like, so I can teach their healthy adult to do that. Um, so I think overall that can be a really good bartering tool for the detached protector. And then, of course... It really sounds like your work in DBT is, is giving you a set of skills to, to sort of really build up that uh, healthy adult a lot more. Yeah, looking coming back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, building that up, I do remember when I was first training, the feeling was almost working all the modes and stuff, and by the end of it, whatever's left is the healthy adult. I'm kind of going, oh, okay. Whereas I think actually, like, name it from session one, and I always tell people, like, catch your client in the healthy adult mode, the same way mm. you say, like, catch your kids being good. So even <laughs> if they turn up to session going, I really didn't want to come today, mm. um, but I've come anyway, you might kind of go, oh, so that avoidant protector didn't want you to come, but that's awesome, your healthy adult's got mm. you here. So I think you build it up continuously, but schema therapy really is those skills are all about building up that healthy adult to be able to regulate emotions when we need to. Hey, so coming back to the stop bit, because I was like, oh, 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 I've got my angry child. <laughs> I was like, this might help me. <laughs> what? What? So what else? So we talked about the tip, and then what was the other idea? Because if so, I'm just thinking of the listener, like, you know, what's two or three practical examples that they could take away? What's the stop concept? The, the stop is when you're about to do something kind of impulsive or reactive. Yeah, probably, it happens all the time. Yeah, as if you know me well. Being spontaneous, so it is when about when it's gonna. This is not gonna be a good idea. So angry okay. child, you know, impulsive mode, that yeah. kind of. And look, so it's actually four steps. So the the S basically stands for literally stop. So if if your example is you're about to say something to the person in front of you, maybe it's your boss or someone. That you know you're going to regret. The first do it. Step, do it. <laughs> just go ahead and just do it. But it's you've got to literally somehow just bite your tongue, just not say what you're about to say. You've got to somehow put on the brakes. Yeah. The T. So inhibit. You got to inhibit that initial inhibit. urge for some period of time. And that is the part which obviously you, you can't really teach somebody. Like they've somehow mm. just find a way to inhibit. And for some people, it can just take a long time just to be able mm -hmm. to learn. But then the, the T can stand for two things. So either then just take a breath. And base I have found as well, and you may know this from just your own life, if you can actually start when you're about to say something you're probably going to regret and mm. you take a breath or two, 
that sometimes is enough. Yeah, yeah. Or in contact with your healthy adult. Yeah. Um, but then the other part of the T can be take a step back. Yeah. That can be almost like that healthy avoidance distancing where we go, actually, I'm a bit, I'm a bit angry right now. I should probably mm-hmm. leave the room or I should walk away for a few mm-hmm. minutes and calm down. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like um, um, let's um, put the the old email in the uh, send, you know, in the uh, for tomorrow. Yeah, we'll look at it tomorrow. Yeah, the draft <laughs> file. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've learned to do if I'm responding to someone on another, it's not always going to be healthy throughout the entire email. Is I'll, I will take off the sender first, and I'll only yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, done that before. Yeah. <laughs> That's my health to give your healthy adult a chance. That's right. Okay, so what's the next one? Oh, then. <laughs> I don't want to miss this. <laughs> it, stands, it stands for observe. Okay. So in traditional, like, kind of terms, that is where you either kind of just turn your attention inwards, mm-hmm. right? So that kind of be where you you are noticing the sensations going on. You're actually noticing what you're feeling, mm-hmm. which even just notice that may bring you into contact with what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So you actually mm-hmm. kind of go, oh, I'm actually feeling quite angry. Yeah. Um, it could be as well that you notice your thoughts and mm. memories. So you kind of yeah. go, oh, I'm It's a mindfulness piece. You're yeah. trying to invoke a little bit of mindfulness in that moment. Yeah, brief mindfulness. You just kind of mm-hmm. briefly go, what's going on for me? Yeah. Just noticing. Mm-hmm. Just, just noticing, which then means you can do something about that. Or you could you could turn your attention outwards, which could be a little bit about grounding. So if mm-hmm. you kind of go, I'm just going to look around again mindfully. What can yeah. I see? What can I hear? The other big one I say to people with that, though, is that thing can then bring you into contact with corrective information. Yeah. Right. Actually, you know, you are kind of going, oh, they're trying to screw me over again. And then you look up and the person looks quite soft and compassionate. So imagine mm. the client in therapy is going, Chris is he's trying to screw me. Mm. So again, though, it's it's getting contact with the present moment as it is outside, not just what's yeah. in your in your head sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And what's the well that with this step this is where other stuff can really come in so this can turn it into a much longer skill but that's your point where you could go away and you could do something like fill out a schema mode diary to try and work out what's going on you could look at your flash card if you realize say you're in your angry child Mm. mode you could do do a mode walk through Mm. could be as well where you need to use other skills because you do Mm. realize pretty pretty angry so i need to go away and do some tip and i need to go before i deal with this situation um but then the, the final one, then the P stands for proceed mindfully. Yeah. So basically, proceed with your healthy adult. So hopefully, mm. you kind of put the brakes on, you mm. take a step back, and you've noticed what's happening. Mm. Hopefully, then you're going to make the healthy adult decision. Doesn't mean we always do. We still go, you know, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. But at least then you're more aware of what's going on, which means you can make a different choice next time. And it, and it's these sorts of things, these little little um, ac- are they acronyms. Is that mm. the, no, you know, in yeah, terms yeah, of like yeah. dear man for, you know, sort of being able yeah. to do interpersonal, you know, effectiveness and this sort of stuff, a component of DBT. I've always felt those sorts of things been helpful as extra kind of, you know, real micro skills that go in and are often quite overlooked, you know. So, yeah, thanks, Chris. So I'll be using this and I know it's consistent with my water the garden approach of yeah. when my, my uh, children are driving me insane. I take myself yeah. out and I water the plants in a mindful way <laughs> connecting with my own healthy adult so so happy we're, we're just kind of uh, i guess winding down a little bit now um you know i know you've been doing uh, a set of workshops on this topic for a couple of years now um and we're also absolutely um, proud to to have you on board um to do some of the online training that we've got coming up um and, uh, next month actually mm. 
Uh, so you can um, jump, people can jump on there, of course, and, and check it out there. Um, but what's the feedback been from clinicians uh, about this kind of content, this, this overlay between schema and DBT? Well, overall, it's actually been, it's been really positive um, to the point where it, it actually surprised me quite a lot initially. Um, you know, I think there was probably a bit of my, my failure schema coming up to it or even... The critic. To, uh, the critic. But Chris was going, look, this would be really valuable for people. You should really think about doing it. But then, you know, the first, I remember the first couple of workshops because I did Sydney and Melbourne back to back and getting all the feedback forms and it overwhelmingly being like comments like how helpful it was and, and how much they're going to use this in the schema therapy. Um, whereas I guess because I've just, I've got used to the fact that I've got, you know, both things in my tool belt, you kind of forget mm. sometimes how valuable it can be. Yeah. How particularly people that don't know that, um, how useful it can be to them. Mm. Um, so it's actually been, it's been great and I've really enjoyed doing them. And mm. a couple of constructive bits of feedback, which is not a being, you know, bad criticism or anything, but that's great because I've been able to use that a lot more for the online training as well. So the whole idea of, look, if we can get as coherent a framework as possible, even better for when we're learning this. Mm. So that's the flight where I've just, I'm doing the list of schemas and I'm putting what skills are useful and I'm going to do a couple of mode maps and put them on and just against those certain modes, put the skills that could be useful as well mm -hmm. as, you know, and chair work. And the other thing is people say, it'd be great to see the skills being taught, particularly within a schema framework. So by the time I finish, I'll have actually recorded about 10 videos of me teaching. Um, actually doing this stuff, like role mm. plays. Yeah, so we just, okay, we kind of gave a broad remit as in, so okay, roughly in this one, I wanna, I'm going to teach you the stop skill, but we've done it as a schema session. So we've maybe, yeah, right. this is what's going on. I've done a bit of labeling, a bit of attunement, and then I'll teach the stop skill to really help mm. people see this, this is how it fits mm. and this is how you can teach it. So I think that's the other thing that's, going to be really valuable in the online training mm. being able to watch those those skills videos as i'm calling them and seeing them how it so actually beautiful beautiful so it's work really, it's dbt for the schema therapist and that's the, oh, the yes. greatest you know that's the best thing and I, look i guess the the thing that we always you know um you know are always finding these comp competing different types of um therapies it's just nice to see something synergistic you know, it seems yeah, like absolutely. this is something that could really be synergistic and help. In the end, I mean, we all want to help clients. And yeah. whether we come from whatever type of um, research, you know, orientation or background or therapeutic um, background, you know, mm. it's helping people that are out there. Well, I reckon we've done um, a, a nice little uh, bit of a chat here. Um, yeah. So um, thanks, Chris, for or happy. <laughs> and lovely to have you on, mate. And Thank lovely you. to hear about all the work you've been doing with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And if and if you're interested in Chris's course, we've got, uh, as we mentioned, a training course that's going to be starting. It's going to be on repeat the rest of the foreseeable future into the months ahead. Um, so if you're interested in that, look at um, our website, schematherapytrainingonline.com. Uh, but Chris, hope you uh, enjoyed the discussion as, as I know Rob and myself have. Uh, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Lots of fun. See you, yeah. see you mate. Bye-bye.